Greetings and salutations, everyone. This is Jill Kessler-Miller, and you're listening to Dog Dish Radio. So today, I want to talk about something that is interesting, both in the law and in practical. And this is about something called the Healthy Dog Importation Act. This is something that was introduced into the House of Representatives back in May, has very wide support in both houses of Congress, and it has very wide support from the USDA, legitimate rescues, and breeders. Now, in the past, dogs that were being imported from overseas were generally for breeders to bring in fresh stock for their own bloodlines. And so these were mostly purebred dogs. They were often brought in anywhere from a puppy up through an adult dog. The numbers were approximately a little over a thousand a year. Not a really big deal. And all you had to do was have a certificate from a veterinarian and proof of a rabies vaccine. And to be honest with you, these were not always followed up. But what has happened in the last several years is that rescues have become business. There's a lot of money to be made when you are doing, quote, rescue, end quote, dogs. And so now what we have are a lot of dogs that are being brought in from overseas, and they can fall into two different categories. One of them is that actually these are just puppy mill dogs that are being brought over and being resold under the pretense of being rescue dogs. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Some of these dogs are actually from the streets of poor countries, and they are actually being placed by rescue groups with good intention. And then of course, there are people who are just selling dogs. So this new law, its goal is to make sure that every dog that comes into the United States is actually healthy. One of the downsides that has been occurring for the last, say, 10, 15 years is that dogs are coming over with communicable diseases that have not previously been seen here. They can also bring over parasites, funguses, viruses, and quite frankly, rabies. So Now what they're doing is they're looking at making a central database that tracks these dogs as they come in, that they verify the paperwork that accompanies the dogs, because unfortunately there's been a lot of falsified paperwork, and they're also guaranteeing that the dogs are indeed healthy before they are released out of customs. So instead of it being just up to the airport staff or the state where the dog would land, it is now going into federal jurisdiction. And this is actually quite important because it allows the USDA to get involved. In coordinating this federal oversight, you will be involving APHIS, the CDC, and the Custom and Border Patrols. And there will be enforcement. These animals that will come in instead of just being released will have to be examined. So what's the problem with bringing over puppies? Well, generally speaking, it hasn't really been a problem because again, these were usually puppies that were being brought in by a person for themselves, or perhaps they would might bring in two to grow them out in case one of them didn't work out. But what started happening was puppies were starting to come in by the dozen, sometimes 20, 30, 40, 50 puppies at a time. And the biggest problem here is that they were often underage. What's that? Underage is pretty much anything under 8 to 10 weeks. It increases their risk of dying in transit. It increases their risk of illness or perhaps dying after being placed in a new home. And it increases their trauma, which will most likely and often be a lifetime emotional and psychological problem. So I'm a firm believer that when we ask someone to take a rescue dog, that dog needs to be a good family pet. We are asking people to open their hearts and their homes to take in an animal. So it should be something that fits well. 
Historically, rescue groups were often run by people in the breed. They were people that perhaps belonged to the National Breed Club. They were people that perhaps had their own show dogs, but also did some rescue. I'm actually one of those people. And so you had people who were very knowledgeable about the breed and made good, sound, objective decisions about that breed, and then also knew what their problems were, and they also knew how to interview families to make sure that it was the right environment for that dog. Again, rescue can be quite profitable, especially if you're not doing a good job or doing it right. If you're bringing over 40 or 50 puppies and you're, quote, placing, end quote, them at $500, $600, $1,000 a piece, you're making a pretty good chunk of change on literally the backs of these poor puppies. However, as I said, a lot of these dogs are now just puppy mill dogs, and they're coming in from places like Russia, Slovenia, Croatia, Turkey, and they're not good quality dogs, and they often are very sick. One of the things that we have seen a lot in Southern California is that puppies are being brought up from Mexico. And I can always tell when it's that situation because generally speaking, the stories behind the puppies are the same. Oh, we found this litter of puppies in in Mexico. Oh, the mother was killed, uh, hit by a car, and we took in the litter of puppies. It's generally along that. There's no real story about where's the mother? Where did these puppies come from? Because in general... In rescues, we don't get a lot of puppies, but people want puppies. So they've been able to circumvent things like the State Board of Equalization and state taxes by being, quote, rescues. Now, one of the things, by the way, is always ask, are they actually federally registered, 501c3, and ask to see their incorporation papers. If they haven't gone that far, it's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if it's just a private individual who's doing maybe one at a time but it does show that they may not be a legitimate rescue. One of the things that this bill has also accomplished is that there are countries that are at higher risk for rabies. After a couple of dogs did come into the United States with rabies, this was obviously a concern because just a few years ago, the United States was declared rabies-free in domestic dogs. So as an example, some of the countries that there are now holds on animals coming in from are the Middle East, Africa, South America, and Eastern Europe. These are high risk for rabies and other diseases. Now, some of these diseases, of course, are just dog to dog or dog even to livestock. But a few of them are also what we call zoonotic, which means that they can also spread to us. That can include rabies, and it can include some funguses and parasites. Something I want to talk about also is the aspect of street dogs or meat market dogs that are being brought over to the United States. Now, I don't want to question the motivations of the people that do this work because it is grueling and depressing and horrible. Please don't get me wrong. The meat market dogs are basically bred for consumption. They are treated cruelly. They are never socialized. They are generally unhealthy and they're very suspicious of people. Same thing with a lot of the street dogs. Street dogs have learned to survive by being cautious and suspicious. And this is an important aspect to remember because some of that's going to be genetic. So they pick up these dogs and or they buy them or they rescue them or they save them or liberate them. I don't care how you want to look at it and bring them to the United States for a better life. I get it. It's so noble. The problem is is that these dogs are not prepared for an American life. 
Again, they have not been socialized. They have not seen things like toilets and vacuums. They generally have lived in cages outside, or they lived on the street being chased, having rocks thrown at them, or perhaps scraps. They often come with great shyness and suspicion of strangers. This is what helps them to survive there. I get it. It's not a bad thing. However, the problem is is that well-meaning people want to bring these dogs into their home, and they think it's going to act like their golden retriever. And it's just not. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. This is actually a topic that comes up on my training and behavior forums more regularly than you might think. People bring in a Taiwanese dog or a Korean meat dog, and the dog is petrified. It's frozen in fear. It's trying to kill and eat a small dog or their cat. It won't let anybody touch them. It's biting. You know, it might get into a corner and it's aggressive. Again, these are all skills that would allow this dog to live in its previous environment. These dogs are so overwhelmed. Will some dogs recover? Sure. I'm, you know, never say never. However, the vast majority of them take years to stop being hypervigilant. Do I think that these are necessarily good pets? For most people, they are not. They are disappointed and they're sad and they don't realize that they did not do anything wrong except for perhaps thinking it would be a different type of dog. So am I saying don't take one of these dogs? No, I would never do that. I wouldn't tell you what to do. But am I saying, consider what you're doing. Taking a meat dog or a street dog from another country comes with enormous responsibilities and probably a lot of disappointment. There could be diseases, giardia, all kinds of things. It may not fit into your home or your neighborhood. It might be more aggressive. You might be able to modify some of that behavior and you might not. So really think about what is it that you want. If you want to be special and take a Korean meat dog, okay, but be very eyes wide open about what that is going to mean for your everyday life. If you just want a nice dog and you would like to do a rescue dog, that's fabulous and I thank you. But then there are other steps. One of them is, do you want a purebred dog? If you do, great. Find a purebred dog rescue in that breed. You can find those through akc.org. You can find them by just Googling, for instance, Rottweiler Rescue. Los Angeles. And guess what comes up? Rottweiler Rescue of Los Angeles. So there are ways to find the dog that you want. If you want a puppy, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to, I'm going to do a podcast on how to find that puppy for you. It's also important to think about what do you want to live with? Because if you want a dog that will go running with you for your marathon training, you might want to look at a husky. But if you want a dog to sit on the couch with you, you don't want a husky. Look at what those dogs' original purposes were. And again, going back to some of these street dogs, their original purpose was just to survive and sometimes to be eaten. I hope I didn't upset anyone or depress you today. That was not my goal. I do support this new bill that will hopefully be going into effect. We need to unfortunately control more what is coming into our country. By the way, I've met some wonderful imported dogs that are in the purebred dog community. It's quite vital actually to bring in new blood, but most people, that's not what they need. So just kind of wanted to clarify that. All right, so what's for my tip today? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about a clean environment. And I specifically want to talk about 
what's in your yard and environment. People often forget two things about dogs. One of them is that they don't wear shoes. And the other one is that they're actually lower to the ground. What does this mean? This means that things that they walk on that contain chemicals are actually being absorbed through the pads or perhaps licked when they lick their feet and clean them. And the other is that because they're lower to the ground, they're actually getting more of heavy particulates, dust, things in the air, things like that. So you really want to think about this when it comes to your yard or even your home. So what do I suggest? First of all, please, no fertilizers, no additives, no herbicides in the outside. These are basically just cancer cocktails for your dog. And there's some evidence maybe for you too, by the way. The other one is perhaps take a look at your dog's flooring. I like to use dog beds that have natural materials such as cotton or wool, denims, things that are hardy, but don't necessarily contain plastics. Unfortunately, there are a lot of plastics in our environment every day. And again, these are going to be absorbed by your dog perhaps more readily, again, just because they're even lower to the floor and the weight of the molecules. But take a look at bedding. A lot of products these days are made with recycled plastic, which is great, except for not for perhaps lying on or consumption. Take a look at your dog toys. I like natural materials when possible, rope, sisal, things like that. Hard plastics, don't do it. They swallow it. And even take a look at your dog's treats. Maybe I'll even do a podcast about that. Try to go with natural kinds of chewing things. Not a big fan of greenies, but that's okay. Not a big fan of rawhides because they have issues with the chemicals that they're cured with. Again, take a look at what your dog is doing over a long period of time. Anyway, that's your helpful tip of the day. Think about your dog's long-term health and their environment. And while you're at it, think of your own as well. Oh, that little noise you just heard, that's Jojo going out the dog door. I hope everyone is staying safe and stay well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.